Okay, good morning. Welcome this morning. I think we'll go ahead and uh, get started here this morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, hopefully you've been able to navigate the new parking arrangements, and um, we're grateful for all that's, uh, that's happening in progress. So. I want to begin this morning just with a selection, so it's going to be kind of hard to follow this. I'm going to read these, uh, just a selection of just a few verses out of the Psalms, and then we'll uh, begin with a word of prayer. This is week four of Starting Points for Christian Ethics, and uh, we continue to just lay a foundation, a theological, biblical foundation for uh, ethics. So let me just uh, read a few of these and we'll pray. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And then several from Psalm 119. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. And finally, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. You follow the common theme of these verses is delight. Delighting in the word of the Lord. Delighting in his commandments, his statutes, and uh, that they are our counselors. That we would not forget his word, but that we would delight in them. So let's open in that way, uh, just in a word of prayer this morning. Our Father, we're grateful for a new day. Lord, you have faithfully watched over and kept us through the night. You have brought us here to this very moment. We're grateful that we can gather as your people in relative freedom and safety uh, to be able to hear your word and to think about and study your word and then to worship you in spirit and truth among uh, our brothers and sisters. Pray that you would help us as we think about your word, that we would indeed delight in your truth, delight in what you have given us, that that would be a lamp unto our feet, that would be a counsel to us as we consider all of life and reality. So we ask uh, for your favor here this morning as we continue to think about... um, just the foundational truths of ethics. Bless our time. Give us insight, we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as I said, it's week four. And uh, just a quick review. As always, week one was a definition of ethics. Uh, Week two was uh, the basis of ethics. Do you remember what the basis of ethics is? Very character of God. Very good. And then week three is the, was the source of ethics. So we said ethics, the basis of ethics is the character of God as, we added to this, as revealed in Scripture. Okay, so our clearest revelation is Scripture. And so we wanted to look at a doctrine of the Bible. Our, the source of ethics then was last week. And we began to look at key characteristics of the Bible. Uh, I read to you from our statement of faith, from our confession of faith, these truths that we remind ourselves of, and it brought out certain key characteristics of Scripture. So inerrancy, that the Bible is without error, necessity, that we must have the Bible, we must have special revelation in order to know what God requires of us. 
um, authority. We'll uh, review a little bit of this. Um, just the absolute nature of God's ethical demands, that they're true for all people, all places, all times. Do you remember this? We talked about this a little bit last week as well. And then there were two that we, well, authority. I want to give you a definition, and then I want to continue on and add a new one. I'm not sure that we talked about sufficiency. So, inerrancy, let's do a little review. John 17, um, starting in verse 14. I've given, this is Jesus in his high priestly prayer. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. The world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says this, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So we have inerrancy. There is absolute truth. Uh, Titus, we hear in Titus, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which corresponds to or leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, God who never lies, promised before the ages began. Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. So we're just building our understanding, right? We, we, we know these things, that the Bible is inerrant, it is without error, it is truth. God cannot lie. So uh, we, we're, we're wanting to lay this foundation that the Bible is completely trustworthy as we think about <coughs> ethics. We talked about it being necessary, that we must have it to know God's will. Uh, we talked about it being authoritative. So let me give you a definition of authority. This is not my definition. It comes from the text that I'm using. But here's the, when we think about the Bible as being authoritative, we can say this. Here it is. All the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Do you see the connection? Because uh, Scripture is reflective of the very character of God, because it's inspired by God, God breathes, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God, because it is true, therefore, all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God Himself. That's the authoritative nature of Scripture. All right? Um, do you remember why we could say that it is absolute, that it is true for all people, all places, all times? What, what is our reason for us to be able to say that? That's the absolute nature of Scripture, that it is true for everybody. Not just for us in this room, not for just for Christians, but for everyone. Because God created all things. Okay, so on the basis of creation, on the base, His authority on the basis of creation, on the basis of the fact that we are made in God's image, that we are moral beings, uh, we are morally accountable... God in his absolute nature is not qualified in any way. And because he is absolute, his moral and ethical commands are absolute on all of his creation. That's just review. We've talked about that. Okay. Any questions or thoughts on that as, as review? You have this, this formula in the Old Testament of the prophets uh, that say, thus saith the Lord, carries this authoritative uh, nature with it. Thus 
says the Lord. In fact, when the prophets would come and speak to the nation or when they would speak to the king, the prophets were, be, were to be obeyed as if their word came from God himself. Like they were speaking God's word. It was authoritative in that way. All right, so that's all review, but I want to add then sufficiency. So we have inerrancy, we have inspiration, necessity, authority, and then sufficiency would be maybe a bit new. We haven't quite talked about that yet. Uh, What's a synonym for sufficient? Adequate. Adequate? Enough. 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 Okay, so the question... Those were the words that I was looking for. The question is, is Scripture enough as we think about ethics? As we think about what is demanded of us, is, is Scripture alone enough? Or do we need to look outside of Scripture to understand what God requires of us? So we're asking the question as we think about ethics. What is, by the way, what's the definition of ethics? That we're using? Say again? The very character of God as revealed in Yep, that's the very foundation, the basis of ethics. Do you remember our three-part definition? What acts, attitudes, and character traits are pleasing to God and those that are not. So we're studying that. What does Scripture say? Those acts, attitudes, and character traits. Okay. Um, So when we ask that, so what does God say? What is he speaking? What is he saying about what we must do? Then the follow-up question is, is that enough? Is is the word that God has given us sufficient? Or must we look outside of Scripture for um, our understanding of what is required of us? So, um, let me give you, let's look up a few. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. And look at verse, uh, starting in verse 5. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Someone want to read that? Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. I'll read it. Go ahead, Jerry. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Okay, do you, under, do you understand what we, why we would look at this when we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture? Is Scripture enough? And note what it says here in the Proverbs. Every word of God proves true. And then verse 6, do not add to his words. Meaning what? Like be, behind that command, behind that principle is that Every word that God speaks is true. There doesn't need to be another word. We don't need to add to His words. Uh, A follow-up or a a closely related verse is back in Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy uh, in the Old Testament here. Chapter 4. You know, as Deuteronomy opens, the children of Israel are on the uh, cusp of, of going into the promised land and, and Moses is going to 
recall all of the ethical and the, the, the law that came forth in Exodus. And uh, he says here, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, start in verse 2. Uh, <clears throat> well, actually, we can start in verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Uh, verse 2, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God that I command you. So what's added in this? We've read Proverbs 30, do not add to, do not take away. The point being that, that the word of God is sufficient, right? We don't need to add to it to understand. We don't need, we should not take, subtract from it as uh, though there is too much there. Uh, think about this. When we talk about the Bible being sufficient, especially as we think about ethics, and we get into applied ethics, there's nothing missing or lacking in Scripture. It is enough. There are no other writings that are on the same level as Scripture. Authoritative word from God. Now, other people can write and be helpful. I mean, I'm using other texts, right? I'm using certain books and, and other people can there's no other writing that is authoritative in that way scripture is uh, sin and obedience are defined in scripture not outside of scripture not what, what the culture is telling us uh, you should do this you would be a good Christian if you do this if the scriptures say that yes but if culture is saying that, we must align that with Scripture. Is that true from Scripture? Uh, sin and obedience is defined in Scripture, not outside of Scripture. Uh, are there unwritten rules that we must follow? There, you know how this is, you, you, where you work, the places where you work, sometimes at home and the family. There are these unwritten rules that you've got to follow. They're not written. They're not out there. But everybody knows you've got to follow them. Are there unwritten rules? There are. Do you have an example? Well, well, Paul in 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians says, maintain the traditions that we held on to you. you know, so in, in inscripturation, he's actually giving value to the traditions weren't, weren't actually part of the text. And, of course, that applies, I think, to the confessions that we have and other things that don't have the same authority, but they have right. value you know, and, and filling in some of those details in how we understand Scripture. Yeah, I would agree with that, that they help to, just as other writings I'm talking about, help to explain, right, and, and help our understanding of what is Scripture saying. I agree, I would agree with that. But we wouldn't, we wouldn't follow a confession as authoritative, that the Scriptures give the authority to what we follow. Um, so yeah, I, I, the, the point being, like I, I want to get to this point where culture tells us what we ought to do. And there are these unwritten things that are out there that oh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. We want to always be going back to Scripture. Scripture is, should be telling us what we ought to do. Um, things that we are required to believe. Things that we are required to understand about God. Things that we are required to understand about the Christian life, about the church. Uh, 
in Scripture. Let that be our authority. Let that be enough for uh, life and godliness, all that God has given us. Um, Ultimately, when we think about these things, so do not add, do not take away, what is our conclusion about all of the inerrancy, the authority, the necessity, the sufficiency, all of these kind of doctrinal uh, terms that we use. When we come to scriptures, we think about ethics. We can be confident, well, I want you to be confident, that when we come to scripture, we have what we need to help us in our life, in determining what we ought to to do. We have been given a sufficient word. When ethical issues arise, we know that scripture will speak to them. Now last week I kind of made the it was sort of this um, just an offhand, you know, what do we do about uh, artificial intelligence? Or what do we do about end of life issues? What should we do about things such as um, Artificially administered nutrition, meaning if somebody is on, if somebody is in critical condition, they have something wrong with them physically, they they may be uh, near death, what do we do about artificially administered nutrition, you know, like feeding tubes and things like that? That's an ethical issue. Uh, Does it talk, does the Bible talk about that? Not chapter and verse it doesn't, but principally speaking. We have what we need. It is a sufficient word. It is authoritative word. When we think about um, artificial intelligence, uh, when we think about obeying traffic commands, like speed limits and things, do we have a sufficient word? Uh, that's what I'm just wanting you to. I'm just wanting to encourage you in this way. Okay, that we do have um, scripture will speak to them either by clear command. Or by principled wisdom implied as you read. You know, not, not everything is a clear command, but there are certainly principles to develop our way of thinking and our way of living. Okay? Does that, does that, help? Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Like, so we have an inerrant word, an authoritative word, a sufficient word, and a necessary word. Um, an authoritative, I think I already said that, an authoritative word. All that we need has been given to us. Okay. Any other, any thoughts or any questions on that? Yeah. Uh, just from my own experience uh, with uh, believing that the scripture is inherent, all that stuff, um, when you talk to somebody else, uh, uh, they, they will, they'll attack that with, well, uh, there's error in here, and that's why we're allowed to to have this other added on thing. Uh-huh. Have their own uh, their own book. Um, I don't want the name of the nation, but anyway, um, you get the point, and, and and it gets back to okay, their their exegesis, their hermeneutics. Um, uh, it's like you're combating heads. I said, well, which <laughs> they only use King James only, so. Uh, <laughs> It's yeah. real frustrating when you try to explain to the and, and say, well, this is all we need. We, right. we need this extra. I always go, well, who died on the cross? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's the argument I always get. Well, you're, 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 on your interpretation. That's the other one I always hear. Sure. Yeah, it, 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 
there is, um, it is, it is difficult, especially when we are people of the book. And there are so many people who don't care about the Bible, who don't live by the Bible, who don't even think it's a legitimate source of revelation or of truth. And so, to your point, uh, we're, we're, we're coming back to this all of the time. And we want to apply this to the way we live, the way we think. And so many people don't. And uh, I just am th- thinking of what I, we, we went to a couple weeks ago when Paul went to the pagan audiences in Acts that, that do not have God's revelation, special revelation, right? They have, they have general revelation to which all people are without excuse, Romans 1. So because, because of what God has made, I mean, this is where you, you sometimes come to an impasse because you have this conversation about, well, Scripture says, well, I don't believe Scripture. I don't care about the Bible. And so, well, you could go step, take a step back. Well, you're still accountable to God. This is what I was, 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 we were saying last week. All, the authoritative nature of God's revelation is still accountable. Even though you don't have special, Paul goes to all men everywhere are commanded to repent. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. This is a fact of history. And therefore, all men everywhere are commanded to repent. Like you're saying, who died on the cross, right? You get to these... Um, and so, yeah, the difficulty is in, in some of our conversations is that people don't see this as, as legitimate. They don't have hearts that have been changed. They don't, they don't see these things as true. Uh, so that takes prayer and patience and uh, c- multiple conversations. We live in a soundbite world, Right? And it's just a sound. We've got to somehow convince people of everything we've ever known in five minutes. And, and it's, not, it's not possible. <clears throat> just a comment. We've, we've seen such a shift from the point that when I was a boy, the Bible was generally revered, you know, it was respected, to the point that we've come to, well, you know, it's, that's good for you, not for me, right. to the point today where it's actually hated and rejected as an evil book that's laying down moral commands that take away our personal freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think in my lifetime I've seen a huge movement, just the cultural sense of the Bible from respecting it now to generally despising it. Yeah. yeah. What I mentioned a couple of weeks ago is that we have be, so it is no longer what God has given from on high. It's not no longer what God has given in his word. Now we are a law unto ourselves the autonomous, the expressive self, the expressive individualism. And you can't tell me what to do. Uh, so it, it's certainly in that, to that point. I just have a question going back to what you said, for example, about the feeding tube. Mm. Do you think it's possible for um, Christians to have differing views on that kind of stuff? Sure. Okay. Uh, I think so... So I was having a conversation this weekend with someone and, and we were talking about issues of conscience, issues that, so we have clear commands, the thou shalt nots, right? And those are clear. Those are not issues of conscience. Uh, um, and so uh, I'll start with that. But then we have the principles Right? You, you have things that are not as clear, but you can draw from principles. As we looked at Proverbs and you look at other places. And people will land, at different, land in different places on that. And the question is, and this is probably something that I didn't even have in my notes, but it, the, the question for all of us 
is, uh, or something to consider for all of us, is what do we do with um, those who differ in matters of conscience? How do we treat our brothers and sisters charitably, with love, long-suffering, patience, um, bearing up with one another, uh, iron sharpening iron to where you're like, well, let's, let's talk through this, right? This is where I, so I see in Scripture and have iron sharpen iron so there can be these conversations. Uh, but there is, and I think probably if we ever get to applied ethics such as this, uh, that we would want to think through some of these matters of conscience and how to live charitably and in loving uh, with our brothers and sisters who would differ. Um, so yeah, so some of these are very difficult, difficult areas. Um, and we want to have uh, be informed by the Word. Um, sometimes it comes down to taking what I see from the Word and believing uh, and praying and asking for wisdom and asking for guidance and asking for counsel. You know, there are, there are other... It's not just me and the Bible in that sense where you have been given pastors, you've been given brothers and sisters who help think through things, right? Um, you've been given uh, ways to work through what is true that you're seeing in Scripture. So all of that to say, yeah, I think there can be... Uh, there, can, there are matters of conscience in a, in a lot of these things. Um, some are very clear, right? You shall not murder. I mean, that, that's clear. Um, so, yeah. Good question. Okay. All right. Let me then move to the new. So that's all review, actually. Can you believe that? So here we go. Next, this is week four now. We're finally getting into week four. The goal of ethics. Now, this is going to sound as somewhat similar to our, some of our initial conversation at the beginning of the class several weeks ago. The goal of ethics. The end. The purpose. Um, do you know what is the... If any of you are familiar with the Westminster question number one. Does anybody know Westminster question number one? Westminster... What is the chief end of man? Answer. All right. So to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. And I think that's where we're going to go with the goal and the end of ethics. To what end? We talked. Go ahead. Number two is how do you glorify God? Okay. How? By obeying him or by loving him and obeying what he commands. Okay. So which we talked about at the beginning of the class, uh, Matthew 22, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Uh, love and obedience. Uh, so, to glorify God, to fully enjoy Him forever. The goal or the end or the purpose. Now, that's all fine to say that. And it's good to have the answer. These are good answers. When, you, when it comes down to it, and I think I wake up tomorrow morning, a Monday morning, my, my chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off. What does that look like? Right? We use these wonderful terms, and we all know it. But to, when, the, when, when the alarm goes off, what does it mean to glorify God? To love Him and to obey His commands. But I want to talk about that. Just, just this whole idea of glorifying God. 
Can we, can we add to this? Can we practically, practically speaking, what does it mean to glorify God? The word glory. How do you give glory to God? Does God? God is infinitely glorious. How do I glorify God? One of the things certainly is to praise him for who he is. And so, you know, when the alarm goes off, I'm going to get my Bible and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, you know, read in three different passages and find things that are going to help me to commune with God, to recognize who he is, and to exalt and magnify and, you know, be thankful for that. Right. So, you have, I, that was the first, I was, I was asking myself this question as I was studying. I was like, i got to think through this. What does it mean? And the first thing that came to my mind was praise and worship. How do I glorify God? Okay. Yeah, praise and worship. Thankfulness. Tina. I think sometimes it's we, we glorify him by the positive, the praise and worship, but also by the things that we're not doing. Like in a, just in a work setting, you really stand out if you're not grumbling because everybody loves to grumble. And Philippians 2.14 says that, you know, not grumble that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. Yeah, yeah, right there, light, being light, being obedient. Hey, we're, we're called to be thankful, not grumblers. Good, I like this. What, 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 how else? I think a part of that is, is really just like uh, embodying God's character. You know, yeah, being, you know, we're only light because he is light first. And so, you know, the, how we glorify him is just recapitulating who he is. May I use this word, imitation of God's character. Walking by the Spirit. Yeah, Galatians, walk by the Spirit. I don't, when the alarm, ooh, that's tough when the alarm goes off. Right? And my flesh wants to uh, sleep. Gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, So walk by the Spirit. Good. Yeah, so thankfulness, so praise and worship, uh, not grumbling, being a light in a dark world, imitating, uh, walking by the Spirit. You say thank you say giving thanks? Yes, giving thanks. Good. Loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor. Love Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor. When they're playing loud music <laughs> and you're trying to sleep. <laughs> Acknowledging him in all our ways. Okay. Yeah, being. Yeah, uh, acknowledging him in all of our ways, moment by moment. Um, even in the midst of the whatever work we're called to do. Right? I'm. I'm Whatever work it is, it's, it's not like you have, you have your Bible out the whole time that you're like doing whatever work you're doing, but acknowledging him even in the work, returning as serving God in our work. Uh, good. I think another thing is fitting into the roles that God assigned us as a husband, a father, okay. a brother, a yep. pastor, whatever. Living out and embodying, I think the word imitation or embodying was used, but embodying, embracing the roles that God's given us. Humility, dependence upon the Spirit, right? Walk by the Spirit. 
Um, I have some others here. I mean, these are, uh, the word glory is, is weighty. So to give weight to, um, not that we can add to God at all, by any means, he is infinitely glorious, but making much of God. is what you guys are all saying here in life, that we're making much of him before a fallen world, um, in obedience to him, giving weight to, giving honor Fear of the Lord. Uh, this is the beginning of the wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Respect, reverence, we said worship. Affirming Him as worthy and right and true. His ways are worthy and right and true. And you know these verses here, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for, to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, I think we're going to spend some time in Colossians next week. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks. We have this thanksgiving coming out. Doing it in the name of the Lord. I am aware that I am wanting to obey, wanting to imitate Christ in my actions. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, in word or deed, word or deed, eat or drink, whatever you do, all of life is to bring glory to God. All right, so this is the goal of ethics. Have you noticed that in the last four weeks we have, like, we've done very little applied, anything applied? We haven't talked about, I mean, we talked a little bit about feeding tube here a second ago, but like other than that, it's all just Christian life. This is ethics for the Christian life. And so... The text that I'm using, he, 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 this is his argument. Let's make ethics be something that glorifies God, all of life. And he breaks it down into three, three categories or three sort of sub-goals. The goal of ethics is to glorify God. But there are, how do we live that out uh, in sort of sub-categories? So here's what he has. Uh, character. Maybe I should go on the other board to give you guys fair... Character, well, that sounds familiar. And behavior. And I forgot the other one. And results. So these would be three sub-goals of, so goal, the character goal, the behavior goal, and the results goal of ethics. And so I want to focus in the time that we have left here just on the first one, on the character goal. Can we somehow connect these three items to our definition of ethics that we used at the very beginning of the year? The year, the class. What does the whole Bible say about what acts, attitudes, and character traits are pleasing to God and those that are not? Do you see, the, do you see some connection here with these? Okay, so character is actually one-to-one, right? You have a character goal, um, results, and behavior. So, Romans, turn your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 8. We're just going to look at this first one. Romans 8, we're familiar with this chapter here. Very end, Romans 8. Starting in verse, well, the great one is you know, verse 28. We know that 
For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined what? To become conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. To be conformed to the image of His Son. Son. So I want to say ethics as, if we're going to talk about being conformed, the, the, the character goal, conformed to the image of his son. And so let's say this is ethics as the imitate, to imitate Christ. We said this earlier, we we're talking in bigger terms. Uh, what does it mean to glorify God? And we said imitation. Let's break that. Let's say imitating Christ. To imitate Christ, to become more, fo- to be formed into the image of His Son. It's a, 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 a related verse, First uh, Corinthians in chapter fifteen, he says this. Paul says, verse forty-nine. If I can find it, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we are from Adam. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Ethics as imitation, as imitating Christ. Okay? Uh, So let me just read you an excerpt. What does that mean? To imitate Christ. To imitate Christ. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote. Um, John reminds us, this is a quote from the book. John reminds us, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, 1 John 2, 6. And so our lives ought so to reflect what his life was like that we bring honor to him, there's the glory, in everything we do, Philippians 1, 20. For this reason, the New Testament pictures the Christian as one who strives to imitate Christ in all of his or her actions. And so the author here just gives a list. Welcome one another. As Christ has welcomed you, Romans 15, 7. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church, Ephesians 5, 25. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, Colossians 3, 13. He who laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, 1 John 3, 16. Throughout our lives, we are to, quote, run the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12. Do you see this? Ethics as imitating Christ, as becoming more conformed to the image of Christ. This is a lifelong process. Um, Yeah, go ahead. Is, Is this character transformation something that we do through effort? Is this something that God does through the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, so forth? Is it a combination of the two? So we see the process of imitating Him. Uh, is that something we have to try harder at? Is that something we have to ask God to do? Right. How, do how do we work that out? Yeah. yeah, by the power of the Spirit. Right. Um, so uh, I think we're familiar with. Um, just talking to a brother the other last week, and I, he said I, he and I were uh, talking about how I've lost all my addresses. 
I'm losing all of my, my, my references. I'm trying to remember all of my references in the scriptures, and I'm starting to like not remember where things are. But uh, I know this is in Philippians. Uh, so he who uh, began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus, right? So there is this work of Christ in us, and yet we are called to pursue Christ-likeness. And so it, I think it's a both and. We continue, we strive for the holiness which out, without which no one will enter the kingdom of heaven, Hebrews. Right? So we are striving to be like Christ while he is, by his spirit, empowering us to do that. Uh, we have to walk by the spirit, as we've said earlier, uh, not by the flesh. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. That we, walking by faith. Walking by faith. You know, we continue to do what God has called us to faith, with, the, with the belief that he will return or, you know, and he will bring the harvest. Yeah. Yeah. Walking by faith. Walking by the Spirit. As Christ works in you. Um, so, yeah, it's imitation for transformation, but we can't transform ourselves. Uh, but you've heard this, you've heard the, maybe the, the phrase, uh, the more that we act like Christ, the more we become like Christ. I was going to say, I think Jerry Bridges is the one who said, like, put into practice the fruit of the Spirit. Mm. So you're looking for opportunities to actually be more Christ-like and being aware, like consciously, mm-hmm. in that too, for growth. Yeah. Exercise yourself on the godliness. Mm-hmm. Discipline but yourself. It's God who works in us both to will, will and, and to do yep. of his good yep. there, There's a great passage in the end of Colossians 1 where Paul talks about making his work and helping people come to maturity in Christ. And then he says, for this I toil. Mm. And that's the word mm-hmm. agonizum. Mm-hmm. I'm agonizing, struggling with all his energy that works in me. Yeah, it's that's not a great an either one. or, it's a both and. Yeah, yeah. what was that reference? Uh, here? Colossians 1.29. Okay, Colossians 1.29, that's great. Yeah, good question. Um, and we're doing this... I think it, you know, I, we would wa- I would want to remind us, I think we're aware of this, but I would want to remind us that we are doing this not in any way to gain merit. Christ's work is complete. Um, we do this because we have been given new hearts. We want to, we want to be more like Christ. Uh, there is this desire. Lord, help me. Um, I can't do this. And you, and you know this when you work with difficult people and you're confronted with difficult decisions. I need the Spirit of God to give me wisdom. What I know from Scripture. But I, God, give me wisdom. Help me. I mean, I'm constantly praying that. Um, so yeah, it's, it is a, a toil and a struggle. And it is a... God, you got to do this work in me. I can't and, do it on my own. And don't we need the people of God? We Absolutely. Need pe- we can't do this on our own. We need people Community. that will admonish us, will yep. encourage us, that will share God's word with us. Yeah. Um, definitely. As we, as iron sharpens iron. Um, as we are exhorted and encouraging, encouraging one another. Uh, so, at, oh my, it's... 
time to time to go. Uh, ethics as imitating Christ. It's a lifelong process. I do want to just um, see this that uh, uh, in Philippians, Paul says that he strives and strains toward the goal. Uh, verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining and pressing forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. I'm desiring to grow in Him and to become more like Him and knowing that we, we won't arrive this side of heaven, but that we continue to look to Him uh, for that, for all uh, our strength to do what He requires. Um, let me make sure I don't have... I, I want to talk about... We, we talk a little bit about uh, just virtuous character, Christ-like character. We might pick up on that a little bit next week, um, and, and then thinking about the joys and the blessings of obedience. Like there's actually good things that happen when we obey. It's not just, just drudgery, like, oh, I have to obey. Like, the joys of pleasing the Lord and, and following Him and obeying. So, uh, maybe we'll, we'll begin talking about that next week. I'll, I'll need to close here now that we're five or ten till. Let me pray for us. Our Father, thank you for these who are here. I, I thank you for uh, their desire to grow and to learn. I, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to think about um, what it means to glorify you. I pray that you would help us by your spirit. We cannot do this in our own. We cannot do this, especially in our flesh. We need to walk in the spirit. I pray you would empower us to do just that. So I pray that you would help us uh, this coming week in the decisions that we make, in the work that we have, in our relationships. Lord, we would be long-suffering, that we would be encouraging, that we would be loving and charitable to our brothers and sisters, that we would be a light to our unsaved family and neighbors, that you would help us. Uh, we pray for this next hour. Lord, we're grateful that we can gather and worship pray for Pastor Logan. I pray for the ministry of the Word and worship, that it would bring glory to you and that you would build up your church through it. Go with us now, we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.